Hello, friends. Welcome to the Focus to Evolve podcast, where we uncover modalities, habits, and technologies that enable people, teams, and organizations to break the unhealthy trance of busyness and evolve into a calm, deliberate, and healthy way of accomplishing far more in less time. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Focus to Evolve podcast. Today, I have a rare being on with us, a truly rare being, if I must say so. He is an entrepreneur, an executive coach, a consultant, a musician, many, many other things. But what I've noticed the most and why I wanted him to come on the podcast with us and share is that he is truly a philosopher king of the highest order. <laughs> I really mean that. He's a heart warrior. And Patrick, you are, are truly a living, walking, breathing guru that you allow me access to. So thank you for coming on the podcast today. Well, you've set the bar way, way too high, my friend. <laughs> Rare being. I'll, I'll try and at least live up to the being part of that. Uh, this is great. Well, thank you for the lovely, warm, uh, affectionate introduction. I appreciate it. Yeah, you bet. You bet. Well, isn't that funny? You say, I'll try to live up to the being part. Just being is sometimes the hardest part. It is. <laughs> it's like you pick the hardest one to, to live up to. Well, then there's becoming, which is equally hard. Uh, oh, <laughs> right. Very, yeah, exactly. <laughs> two sides of that coin. Man, that's right. That's right. So what we're going to share today and what, what I really want to extract, I mean, we could go in so many directions. I mean, the conversations we have in our life, I mean it. It's just, it's profound how much I learn from you. Every interaction. And I want to. I, I hope that we can extract some of that out, distill some out, and and then have the audience be able to to use it in a practical manner. And that's what I love about you. You can go as esoteric as we need. I mean, we can go anywhere, uh, but you always have this anchor to now. Here's how to use it, and that's one of your superpowers from what I've seen. So that's what I'm hoping for out of today's coffee chat. So you game? That sound good? Uh, absolutely. Let's play. And uh, we admire that in each other. We share that interest in, well, yeah, it, it's cool and fun and interesting to pursue some of these lofty questions, deep questions. But if they're, if we don't work to embody them for ourselves and those around us, uh, the value is questionable. So we're both drawn to that. So I appreciate that in you as well, my friend. It is. And, and that's, you know, that reminds me of this distinguishing between what wisdom might be and what knowledge is and the difference between the two. And I think it's exactly what you just said there. So in your opinion, what happens when a person does not have that awareness of the difference between knowledge or data versus wisdom, like practical wisdom? I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Boy, that's a timeless question. On one level, it can be part of the answer is relatively simple. Knowledge is information, right? It's facts and figures, maybe some experience. But as soon as we add wisdom to that, there's new depth in it. Wisdom is the maybe in part the application of the knowledge. And there's such an uh, interrelationship between the two. If you imagine knowledge as a slider and wisdom as a slider, and you think of really young people with tons of wisdom, they don't have as much knowledge 
but they've got a lot of wisdom. How did that happen? And then there's people with a lot of knowledge and low wisdom. It's it's fun to talk about this, but it is mysterious. The deeper we go, the more mysterious it gets. It is. It is mysterious. You just surprised me there. You said young people have a lot of wisdom, but well, some, not yeah. knowledge. And and I agree. I agree with that after you said it, but it would have never come out of my mouth because you think of young people kind of out there running fast, bumping into walls, catching themselves on fire. Like you would think, well, that's not very wise. But actually, you're right. They are. They have a side that is closer to source uh, a lot because they haven't been out in the world and gotten tainted, so to speak. That can definitely happen. They don't have the knowledge. Yeah, then the knowledge part. And both of those categories are highly variable, right? Young and old, low and high knowledge and wisdom. Those are those are kind of all sliders. I know old people with l- l- not much knowledge somehow and not much wisdom or with both. Um, I know young people with, relatively speaking, less life experience and so fewer books and that kind, that level of knowledge, but somehow deeply wise. But not all. I made there. I was certainly a very, very, very foolish young person. So <laughs> I'm sure that trend continues to the current day. Right? Oh, it's so true. You know, we were home for the holidays, recording this kind of near the holiday season, and my brothers were all in town, and we were. We were smoking a, uh, a brisket out in the garage, you know, and we're all just catching up and laughing about old times. And we all just like paused kind of towards mid midway of the old stories. And we thought, my goodness, the only reason that we are alive is because of our mother's prayers. That's the only reason it can be. <laughs> wow, that's lovely. Like, really beautiful. Yeah, the, the decisions that were made by wow. these young men. Um, Whew, not so smart sometimes, but no, that's that's all. It was just a kind of anecdotal story about the the the, the young person and their decisions. And sometimes there are forces outside of you that are working. And uh, I, I mean it when I say mother's prayer may have saved us. <laughs> yeah, um, what a lovely perspective. Um, feels deeply wise. Um, if I can interrupt, I, when you shared with me, of course, that generally what we'd be talking about, and so in a very playful way, I'd like to volunteer one possible definition of wisdom. And I'd like Let's you to, I'd, I'd like you to uh, beat it up or uh, interrogate. Uh, a quality or capacity that can develop as a result of relentless curiosity, running many experiments, either intentionally or unintentionally, and paying close attention to the results combined with compassion, insight, and pattern recognition. Wow. Sometimes, like, the answer was right there with Webster. <laughs> dictionary. I mean, geez, that was, that was seriously a fantastic episode. But let's, let's click into that. Yeah, let's get into this wisdom thing. After having heard you just read that clean definition, what kind of surprised me is how they, he brought in the warm side of it, compassion is part of it. It's not just knowledge and data applied for improvement or something. It's, no, there, there are other realms involved with this. And I like how they uh, tip around that. What do you think about that definition? Well, this isn't, just so I don't mislead, I didn't pull this from Webster. I just sat down and thought about definitions I've heard and where I thought this might go. And I just threw those out there. 
So, and it's not intended to be any kind of definitive. This is just an gotcha. <laughs> aspect. Like this is one run at an answer to the question. It could go on for much longer than we have time for. So yeah, the the compassion, the, the compassion warmth part of it seems at the heart of the difference between knowledge and wisdom, right? Knowledge could be very cold and quantitative, not in a bad way, just can be, it can be cool. Wisdom is, there's some warmth and wisdom, right? Is it, Are there any exceptions to that? Can you think of wisdom that doesn't have that warmth and compassion somewhere as a part of it? Where, where one might argue it might not be found is when you are forced to defend in a very real way uh, when under physical attack. But other than that, uh, even okay. that, Fair you enough. know, the mature, the mature warrior, mature king would give all consideration before having to act very non-warmly. So even that would have that component in there of, of warmth. Yeah. It's in there somewhere. Yeah, you're right. There are, uh, uh, in all of our conversations, Patrick, you know, you just gave that definition. And thanks for clarifying that that wasn't a Webster thing. Yeah. I thought, wow, that was so good. I was surprised. And I, I, I thought you were just reading to, st- <laughs> yeah, to start. Um, I think one, one observation of you that I'm learning and I want to integrate more in my life is how you, you have this aversion to the always to the certain disposition. Um, I like to say you have this allergic reaction to certainty and the word always, you're always like, well, I always, I I think I have some words around always. So can you speak a little bit to that and maybe the importance of, of reconsidering the position of certainty in this world and how, how important it might be? Yeah. Well, first, like my aversion to that is ultimately context dependent because it, it really depends on the question. Um, it's uh, always close your car doors before getting on the freeway on ramp. That's fine. I can live with that always. Um, <laughs> Good point. Um, right. Uh, but the world is complex and changing and unfolding. And it, the word always gets dicey. So I much prefer maybe. So it allows for, well, that, that may be true, might even probably be true, but um, hold it lightly, provisionally. Like we we can't we can't manage our lives without accepting things as provisionally true, true enough just to go about our lives. On the other hand, we want to stay open to the fact that we have we all have blind spots, right? There are things we don't see, so maybe we'll have a truer read on the situation in an hour, a day, or a year. We want to stay open to that. So it's a, a question of balance. There's a middle way that's sure it's um, clear enough, but still open. And uh, there's uh, endless, un- unending change. And so that would imply what what's true today may not be true in a day or a year. Yeah. And the way, when I asked that question, you demonstrated what you just said by, you kind of stepped back. You went up to meta level and said, well, I'm going to give you a response, but just know that even this response is not certain. There's, there, it's always, it depends. It really does. It, it is. 
And that's a quandary, right? Because it can feel, until we dance with that enough that it feels effective, it can feel paralyzing. Like, well, just make a bloody decision. Like, can't we be sure of anything? It, it, <laughs> it can be really um, uh, disorienting and and or paralyzing. And then there's a freedom in it as well. I watched a talk from... Um... Oh, who was uh, Colin Powell's son? And I'm, I'm blanking on his name right now. But he, the, the talk was about ambiguity tolerance and how important of a meta skill this is. And as it relates to what you just said, where you have to hold, hold yourself maturely in, in that paradox, that uncomfortable, mm, I, I need to make a decision, but wait, there are variables and there are real ripple effects and certainty is certainly probably not the the best if these are important decisions. What 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 do you think about this idea of developing the muscle of ambiguity tolerance? Ah, great question. What what comes and how up do you for do me? it? Like, yeah. How do you do it? it so you de- developing that muscle. What comes up for me, of course, is what we were just talking about. If you hold maybe as an answer, whenever it's useful to hold it, that's going to build that habit of just staying more open to uncertainty. That's very practical. Um, What do you think? Uh, I think you just nailed it. It's almost like a, a mantra of maybe, maybe, maybe. Just let that run on loop in your mind. And when you see that thing at the office that triggers you, when... He or she comes in and says or does that again, or when the news shows that, just try to find your way back to maybe, and and let's just breathe a little bit and then decide. At least it's something. Yeah. And sometimes maybe is delicious, right? I mean, sometimes it just feels right. But sometimes maybe can be very disorienting, right? Great word. Very. Oh, yeah. So what do we do then? When maybe is feels like uh, I'm on thin ice here, I need more certainty. Yeah, you, you're going to grasp fast to to get some ground under you, and but that liminal space uh, is so important for growth. And um, this this takes me to one thing, Patrick. I know you're involved and you're a senior consultant there with uh, Talos Institute, and one of their pillars is. I, I believe, and you correct me if I'm wrong, but it's to assist clients to actually get them to go into the liminal space deliberately so that the growth can then sprout from that space. Uh, it, are we on the right? Are we talking about the same thing here? Yeah, absolutely. That liminal space, the transition, when you're you're out of the place you just were, but you haven't arrived in the new place yet. That The great image is that the trapeze artist that's let go of the last one, hasn't grabbed the next one yet. That liminal, <laughs> it's sort of yeah. a nice visual for it. Uh, we have those in life all the time, right? The huge ones are, you know, divorce, losing a job, those sorts of things. But if we intentionally create liminal experiences for ourselves it helps build that muscle so the next time once um catches us by surprise we ideally have more capacity to be awake aware and deal with that to appreciate the opportunity of liminal transitions and to 
to um, navigate them skillfully. Yeah, and this this theme keeps coming up of this, you know, the the if you to use your example, you're the trapeze artist, and you let go of that first bar. You have to in order to make the gap to get that second bar, which is going to take you that next sixty feet swung. And it's just that little gap there, you know. This, I'm reminded of this phrase: uh, "Aging is inevitable, uh, improvement is not." And I think the ones that become more and more comfortable with that gap of letting go of that or that thing, that bar you're holding, so you can get to that next spot. You're saying what I just heard, and correct me if I'm wrong, is practice letting go of that and grabbing the next, and the faith and the hope and the understanding of the value of that liminal space of that scary space where you're not holding on to a bar yet is it might be the most critical factor of personal evolution and growth and you got to get comfortable with it and there's no easy way to try you just got to start and we aren't often encouraged to do that right and it's not uncommon for people to arrive very late in life looking back and thinking i missed it I didn't take, I could have taken these chances and I played it safe. And so I didn't pursue my passion for painting or I didn't travel the missed opportunities for fear of that liminal space. So I think you're not overstating it when you say what you just said about how vitally important it is to see what this means to being human and to exercising that muscle. Yeah, and something that comes to mind as we're sitting here um, is as you work on that liminal space and practice jumping into that cold water, it doesn't feel good. Um, it's in. We're, I, I don't think that Patrick and I certainly wouldn't recommend that. That's your modus operandi. You you do it in undulations. You you do it. You find your cadence of get rooted, feel good, rest, recover. Then go ahead and we time for the next dragon to slay, so to speak. What do you think about cycles and cadence? Yeah, I, I have nothing to add in addition to what you just said. That was very concise <laughs> and wise. It's important. Yeah, we 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 don't want to veer into masochism. We have to do this in a healthy way that serves ourselves and those around us. We only can can change and grow so much. And we want to enjoy the journey. So once again, it's a question of balance. If we neglect it entirely, we don't learn and grow. If we go too far too fast, we could hurt ourselves or others. So that discernment um, of where that balance is, is one aspect of wisdom. It is one aspect of wisdom. And it's it's there's a little bit of neuroscience behind this. You know, we are in this, the age of the dopamine economy and the next and more and next and more and next and more. And I think we've neglected the deep off and the wisdom and the healing and the recovery and the strength that comes from being deeply off between these scary, liminal, fun, fast growth cycles. Um, but this, this idea of getting back to quietness, get to stillness, exercise that as yet another muscle do you have a stillness practice or a recentering practice? Because you sure seem like you do. Yeah, I have for a long time. Um, I earlier in life I learned uh, a, a half dozen different meditation techniques, and I have one or two that are go to. But I, I, for me, more broadly, it's just 
a, an, a cultivating an ability to notice one's state of mind and to be able to modulate that. Not perfectly, we're not robots, but we want to be able, if we need some stillness, having a meditation practice, if not meditation practice, a time in nature, if not time in nature, if one loves music or dance or sports, getting into that flow state within which there is a version of this, right? And the, and even discerning with the flow states, there's focused flow states versus panoramic flow states, and they're different. So the, the interest that you and I share in noticing, oh, how is or was my mind and my state behaving? And am I enjoying this? Is it up to the task at hand? That uh, ability to witness oneself and then modulate one's state as best one can, that to me is just critical. And there are hundreds of ways of doing it. Meditation is one. It's kind of my go-to, but I, as you know, I'm a musician and I can sit down to practice or play and time just disappears. And it will be a lovely contrast to maybe something stressful that had happened earlier in the day that was a stretch or maybe there was some uncertainty or difficulty and that gets me in that slow state or flow state rather and I'm nourished by that. So I think it's noticing how that works in oneself and finding what one naturally is drawn to to rejuvenate. We'll be right back after this brief message. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast. Welcome back to the Focus to Evolve podcast. Well, as, as you're well aware, I try it all. That anything that crosses my path, I, I give it a pretty good go. And I fully agree. A, a I'll start by saying I, I fully agree with the know thyself thing. So what I'm about to say uh, to any listener of this, take it with a grain of salt. You have a completely different biome and psychological history and limbic attachments. <laughs> so find yours. Mine, uh, the ones that I find bring me back to center very quickly are uh, various breathing techniques, uh, transformative breathing techniques, cold exposure, um, and uh, sauna. I sauna quite a few times each each uh, week. And uh, the meditation thing, wow, the, the different fractal layers of things I've tried on that front. And, um, um, you know, they, they all work if you do them and if they align <laughs> with how you vibrate. Uh, so it's never mind talking about the push-ups. It's just I, what I would suggest and I do suggest to anybody is just go to the library, pick up the first free book on meditation, read it and do it. <laughs> Most people just don't do it. <laughs> That's true. That's great advice. And it is that simple. Yeah. It is a just do it. Just have to do it. Start. And you can change your mind as you go. Try it out. See what you learn. If you find like the breath isn't working, go to a mantra. If the mantra isn't working, try a candle flame. Yeah. And those are, so those are the still thing. A lot of people will say, add, 
it's, it's just, I, I can't do that thing. My mind's too busy. I can't sit in stillness. I can't do the mindfulness thing, the meditation thing. Uh, so your suggestion to maybe go to play then as and find flow and play. And the real indicator of, well, what's your play, because everyone has their own, is what you just said. When's the last time you lost track of time? That is the ultimate indicator of this is your recovery uh, from in this way that we're talking about. So thanks for sharing that that idea. Yeah, of course. A lot of people are so busy, they've long since forgotten about play. And, uh, you know, being with awe and wonder. And so follow your bliss, as, as we've heard it said. Follow your curiosities. They're there. <laughs> Uh, and, and don't let culture, society, or your parents talking to your six-year-old self shame or guilt you out of whatever your curiosities are, because there's there's where that play and recovery is. Yeah, uh, such good advice. I just uh, read recently in an interview um, the line. Uh, this is was specifically about social media. We're not consuming information. Information is consuming us. Oh, yeah. And that's what that's the headwind we're up against. So unless you do, as you just suggested, I find that thing that resonates and make time for it. Uh, we can be we can be <laughs> blown off stream. So. Hey, uh, what do you think of uh, on the topic of wisdom, uh, uh, individual versus collective wisdom? When you think of the latter collective wisdom. What comes up for you? It's going to get a little wacky, but let's do it. <laughs> I'm reminded of a subject that you and I have talked about over some of our coffee sessions, and that is I, I'm starting to believe more and more that consciousness is is indeed substrate independent. Uh, I, I don't think it sits in human heads in this gray matter. And there's even some evidence for this now. And so collective wisdom is, for me, at this season of my life and the things I read and all that I've talked to and starting to know, it's my brain is a radar and I can tune it to that station of collective wisdom, getting wisdom that is out there in wherever it is in the cloud. <laughs> and, and when someone asks me, what do you mean? Where is it then? I don't know, and I don't think anybody does know right now. I, I think that we are receivers. Our, our gray matter and our neuronal network, as miraculous as it is, it is a kind of a receiver. It is also a processor. We can process from collective wisdom or the downloads or the the data that's out there. And we are also transmitters. You know, we can, uh, or, or, um, you know, we're, we're speakers too. So we can throw our own stuff, our own synthesizations out there. So when I hear the word collective wisdom, that's what I feel right now. I feel that there is a large cloud going on and we are all contributing as nodes and we can tune into that from a place of stillness. And I, we keep coming back yeah, to the stillness thing, but sure. really when we finally slow down and let our egos Climb into the back seat. Get out of the driver's seat a little bit, just a little bit each day. This inner guidance system that is given to us. You, it, I know we don't want to get religious in any way, but this spirit, uh, it is like an inner guidance system, and the knowing is there. And I think that ties into the collective consciousness and collective wisdom as well. 
Yeah. So I said a lot of words there. What are your thoughts on that? Does any of that resonate with you? Oh, of course. I completely love that you went there. I was, in all honesty, thinking slightly smaller, like a group of people, the wisdom of teams and groups and families. But I so love that you went where you went. And I, we could go down that rabbit hole for a couple of hours, but I can only imagine that there'll be a few people listening to this that would want to know more about the direction you were just pointing to the collective wisdom in a more uh, a spiritual sense in alignment with the world's great wisdom traditions. They all include this, right? Some sense of this collective. We tune to something bigger and greater than us, source with a capital S, etc. cetera. Um, where would you point people? Are there, are there uh, books or teachers that you uh, stimulated your thinking? Yes, I would have to prepare for that question. I'm one of these guys who, yeah, I will read and binge and go nuts. I'll disappear for a few weeks on a subject. My wife doesn't see me except for to come out and get coffee. (laughs) And I'll take a thousand notes and I I am terrible at marking source of where they come (laughs) from. Then I'll review the notes for years ahead. Um, But this concept Boy, oh boy. I mean, it's going to be those outlying, weird, interesting podcasts like The Emerald or um, like Third Eye Drops, yeah, as sure. an example, where they just go crazy into Jungian psychology and the archetypal, this and that, and a book, you know, books like King, Magician, Warrior, Lover, and they're outlying things. They're never going to be on the New York Times bestselling list, but they are the They're the ones that get under the hood. And you read enough of those and you start to find a collection of things that resonates with you. I haven't found any one that's the source of like, oh, there are the secrets. They're all in that one book. Just (laughs) the more you pursue it, you pull on the threads and start to reveal a bit. But um, yeah, on the kind of more local level of collective wisdom, uh, you and I uh, are in a book club. Yes, we are with some other minds that we love and admire. And I think of the collective wisdom in that group, it's just so conspicuously greater than any one of us alone. And I think it the each of us feeds into that collective, but we all receive such nourishment from it. So, you know, part of this discussion is, well, what is wisdom? Where do you get it? How do you develop it? Work that muscle? Um, Boy, finding people that for whom uh, the things that that I'll speak first person here, for me pursuing things that I'm yearning to know more about with like-minded people, I'm getting nourishment that feels like it's somewhere in that wisdom category. Great zoom in on this. So the collective where I went was like species collective. And you were talking about, yeah, what you were talking about was something I think that is wonderfully in the middle of individual wisdom, if you can pay attention and and do the work to acquire it individually. The collective one's just a gift, plug in or don't. That's a a binary thing you can take advantage of or not. What you went is that middle, that middle ground, where in our case, we happen to have four individuals who go deep on the things that we are very curious about. 
And every time we walk away from that, I've got like a, a month worth of processing to do. It's that powerful. That that middle ground where it's you're not talking about everyone. You're not talking about just you. You're talking about a, a few deliberately selected real deal people who are vibrating and curious in, to the things that you are. So thanks for bringing that up. Great, great wisdom acquiring exercise. Find your tribe. Um, and it's probably not going to be the folks you went to high school with. It's probably not going to be the folks at the office. You got to build that one. That's the takeaway here. Just start building that tribe. Build that tribe. And and some members might be in your current network. And you might not even discover how much they love these kind of conversations until you take the initiative and say, hey, I was having a conversation about wisdom. What do you think the definition of wisdom is? You know. I actually had that conversation with a friend last night over a glass of wine in anticipation of this conversation. And it's a friend I have great conversations with. But I, it occurred to me in the midst of that, hearing him answer that question, it went so deep, so effortlessly. And I thought, boy, I need to remember this if there are people that I'm just getting to know and I'm growing tired of the small talk. It just to have some questions that segue into no, I want to hear what this person deeply cares deeply about. What questions are burning brightly for them? Taking that risk and going for that question is one way to collect that tribe. And the the other thing that I wanted to mention uh, specifically about our tribe, and this could lead into a discussion of the characteristics of a great tribe. There's one thing that our tribe in this book club does that I so love. I'll assert something, sometimes provisionally, sometimes with a strong opinion, and it will be invariably lovingly challenged with the opposite of it or added on to. And there's this, there's a sense in the group, no one takes it personally if their ideas aren't accepted wholesale, like just as it is completely. There's a sense like, oh, no one of us on any issue is ever going to have more than part of the truth. So let's unpeel it further. Like, let's add on to that question. Let's look at 180 degrees away from what you just asserted. And what might be true about that? That's rare. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Thanks for bringing that up. You're absolutely right. Um, the, the, to, to have the safety to know that you're talking to other people where I'm not defending anything. Like us four, when we go deep, it is we are freaking truth seekers. I'm not Jason. You're not Patrick. And the other ones are not them. We are, we deleted that. That's what the other humans call us. Right now, I'm a truth seeker and a learner. That's what you can call me when we're together in this. Yeah, that's true for all of us. What a powerful uh, observation you just made there. I have one other characteristic that I want to know your sense of this too. It is um, alternately deeply serious, really focused in a deep dive. And then two seconds later, we are on the floor laughing. It's so 
playful and light. And it seems like those, this is another iteration of something we were talking about earlier, that kind of renewal and um, rejuvenation. You, If you're intense, relentlessly, um, I think there's a point of diminishing returns, right? There sure are. You got to make room for the joy and laughter, laugh at oneself, um, have some fun in the midst of it. And as a result, we seem to go farther, longer, deeper. So, yeah, what's your take on that and any other characteristics of a great cohort? Yeah, and that's, yeah, the the craft of, of forming the great cohort. Like, we've gone literally, like, we, we've, we've rented a cabin. We've gone deep with the subjects we wanted to. We spent literally days going deep in these contexts. And in that, I think you're right on. It's an it's another layer of that undulation we've already mentioned of the growth yeah. recovery cycle. Go deep on the content, go off the range, go all the way to the other side to the part you can't understand and you don't agree with and then come back and you need a little bit of rest and recovery. Let's have a laugh. Let's tell a joke. Let's let's get off this subject, this seriousness. Great point. Yeah. The rest recovery undulation. And it just spontaneously arises. That undulation can happen just naturally, right? Yeah. Yeah, it sure does. Yeah, because it is natural. <laughs> yeah. And if you feel safe, natural happens. Like there's no there's no needing. Patrick, you are wise. Why are you wise? How did that happen? Tell just a little bit about your history. What makes a wise person? Wow. That's a lovely compliment, and I want to receive it. Thank you. I just think that once one accepts, oh, I'm a wise one, you're no longer wise. There's some paradox. It's uncomfortable to that to be framed that way, but I'm going to play along. Um, so I do, gosh, you know, there's so many threads, Jason, that I, you and I could uh, riff on for a very long time. And here's one. I, I think there's a relationship between suffering and wisdom. I don't think it has to be the case, but it so often is. And I, to the extent that I have an interest in these things that you and I both have a shared passionate interest in that fall under the heading of wisdom and other headings as well, I attribute that to some really tough times where my world had completely fallen apart. I didn't know why I was on the planet. I didn't think I'd be able to support myself. I mean, just, I didn't know why I was here. And somehow, for reasons I really still can't explain, I managed to put one foot in front of the other, stumbled on some books, stumbled on some friends, stumbled on some teachers, and found brick by brick, wow, this resonates with me. This is a little piece or a little part of the secret. And at some point in time, it becomes a virtuous cycle. It it wasn't hard anymore. It was really fun to pursue these conversations, these books. Um, so I think uh, there's been, for me, precious benefit to having bottomed out I didn't feel it at the time. I would never have chosen it for myself, but I did. And it put me on a new path that I'm right now. I'm really pleased that I've been on. So what do you think about the relationship between suffering and wisdom? 
adversity and wisdom, either or both. Whether it's required to suffer, uh, I I think it's, I I distinguish between pain and suffering. I think the pain of disintegration of the world that you know blowing up, that's pain. No one's getting away from it. Snashing your finger with a hammer, doing the wrong thing at work, getting fired, all these things, pain. That's actual real pain. Suffering is the mental part, the loop running, the predicting of the future, the mind reading. That's all obnoxious human ego. It's not real, but it feels real, and that's suffering. So I wanted to distinguish between pain, which is very real. We're all going to have a lot of it, uh, and suffering. That's the optional part. Uh, And when you do the work, the spiritual work and the wisdom work, the suffering begins to reduce dramatically. Uh, So I I would say pain is definitely part of it because the explosion has to happen for you to rebuild a new empire that is of your new seasons picking. Um, so the pains required suffering, not so much, um, cycles of this too, over and over and over. Let it, the castle's going to blow up again and again, rebuild it, but rebuild it deliberately, consciously without shame, guilt, without fear. I mean, it's so many castles proverbial castles are built on fear. And so it's a it's a required cleansing and the cleansing brings the wisdom it brings the clarity. Wow. Lovely discernment. Yeah. Thanks for that. And when I reflect on that um that there can be a transition from mostly suffering uh, the suffering and pain over time can become more pain and less suffering. But when I think back on the, what put me on this wisdom path, it was pain and suffering both. Yeah. And even if you were to take you, your whole connectome and everything you know and feel to be true and went back into that, the pain and suffering, suffering would be probably just as true. The, the, the long tail of the suffering might get shorter and shorter and shorter as we all well do put. the work. Yeah, that's great. Love that's that. That's probably what it is. You know what else I'm reminded of, Patrick? So you have had major success in this dense world. You have built a company. You successfully sold it. You are financially well-to-do for the rest of your life. Um, You you just nailed it on all fronts here at this point in your journey. And now you uh, are with a company called Northish, and I'm reminded of the founder of the company, Alan Northish is his name, correct? That's correct. <laughs> he he has a line that will go in my permanent book of wisdom. And I'd like to read it as we kind of start to come to a little bit of a close here. Uh, he, he's quoted as saying, Go Northish, not rigidly or per, uh, perfectly. Northish is good enough. Play the long game. We are works in progress. Life is messy. Meandering is good. In fact, it's inevitably, inescapably the way we grow. And so Alan Northish, that's him being quoted, but I want to let everyone in on a little secret. Uh, Northish is Patrick's consulting company currently. And uh, tell us a little bit about 
Alan Northish, the persona, and where this came from. Alan Northish is a fictional founder, just wanted a founder that we could create as the 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 ideal for us, the ideal founder, and attribute to him anything that inspired us and have him grow and change over time also. And as a fictional character, we can have as much fun with that as we want. So it's it's a blast. It's such a brilliant idea and it's playful. So your your consulting company is serious as a heart attack. You you work with in your consulting and coaching executives from some of the largest companies on planet earth. And yet you remain courageously playful. Congratulations on that. Uh, thanks. They go together. You know that, right? Yes, they do. Two sides of the same coin. They are. So, um, Patrick, you are my Northish star in so many ways. Thank you for being that. And, as we come to a close, I want to just open the stage to you. Is there anything that you would like to say to anyone who ever listens to this that uh, would bring us to a close today? Oh, gosh. Well, a couple things. One, um, thank you. I love our conversations. What a privilege to be here with you and have yet another um, deep fun, irreverent, playful conversation. I, I look forward to many more. Uh, anything that I would offer uh, as closing words here would be probably pointing out the painfully obvious, but um, I think in service to the topic, just staying, uh, keeping an open heart and an open mind and relentlessly curious, really at the heart of what you and I have been talking about for the last nearly hour. So in summary, Go, go forth with an open heart, open mind, and be curious. And, and mantra the word maybe from time to time. <laughs> Always. Always. Jason, right. thank you, brother. Yeah, thank you, Patrick. Wonderful spending time with you. Same, Mitch. Take care. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Special thanks to our producing director, Bridget Coyne, and audio engineer, Ian Douglas. I'm your host, Jason Hinkle, thanking you for tuning in today and inviting you to like and subscribe to this podcast. Also, if you think this may help others in your personal or professional network, please share today's episode. Until next time, I wish you a calm, deliberate, and authentic week ahead. Hey friends, this is Jim Knight, former 21-year Hard Rock executive turned best-selling author and top 10 keynote speaker. And I'm Brant Menzwar, former frontman of Hollywood's most dangerous band turned top 10 motivational speaker and best-selling author. We host the how-to podcast, Thoughts That Rock, where we talk to rock stars, athletes, CEOs, astronauts, and even next-door neighbors who share their expertise and opinions. Together, we tackle the most interesting and challenging topics of today. Whether you want to learn how to become more confident, how to deal with anxiety at work, or how to write a hit song, or use Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in life, we've got hundreds of episodes to help amp up your life and move you forward. Subscribe to Thoughts That Rock wherever you listen to podcasts, and check out evergreenpodcast.com for more information.